Coates at the Reshoring Institute, and this is Rethink Reshoring. We know that when companies are bringing manufacturing back, they need to have all kinds of different services or um, the capability of doing things differently than they had been when they were sourcing and manufacturing overseas. And so today I'm very pleased to have my guest, Roth Magnan. He is the president of RK Logistics, which is a famous Silicon Valley 3PL, doing lots of business with companies all across Silicon Valley, which is where I live as well. Um, and have, I've interfaced with Rock and with uh, RK Logistics through a number of my clients. And so hopefully today we're going to go through all the kinds of services and the things that uh, RK Logistics has to offer. So welcome, Rock. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. So the first thing I want to do is um, talk a little bit about what RK Logistics is, what kind of services you have, and how it all got started. Can you, uh, can you give us that background? Sure. RK Logistics was started by Rod Kaluni, who was a former owner in 1983 here in the Bay Area. We work in uh, Fremont, California, which is in the East Bay. And uh, we started primarily doing trucking operations. Both Rod and myself came out of the trucking industry. And um, it grew in, in transportation. And then our clients wanted to start into the warehousing business. So we've grown pretty consistently. I joined RK 13 years ago uh, as president. And um, we now have expanded in the Bay Area from one warehouse. We have 10 warehouses in the Bay Area, a little over a million square feet. We still run our trucking operations, both locally and we use a long haul brokerage operation. And we've expanded geographically. We're now in Texas and in Michigan, as well as here in the, in the Bay Area. And then about uh, two years ago, we sold uh, to the company, Rod's retiring, and uh, we sold to a company called um, <clears throat> AOI Capital. Um, they purchased us, but we pretty much run just like we always did before. I'm still the president. Most of the team is still aboard. And uh, it's been a great opportunity for, for Rod to retire and for RK Logistics to get a new source of capital and a new direction to, to grow geographically and to continue to expand as our customers need us to. Okay, so talk a little bit more about the services that you have to offer. So I know you have a multiple warehouses and outsource 3PL services and so forth. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, we've kind of positioned ourselves to kind of to be a specialist, try to do the, the jobs that are more difficult for 3PLs of our size to generally take on. For instance, we have foreign trade zones. We have a California pharmaceutical license. We have... Uh, uh, permits to store uh, lithium-ion batteries, which is difficult to do, especially here in California. And we talk more a little bit about that later. Uh, and uh, we've got a brokerage operation, like I said, um, and we've expanded now to multiple geographies, primarily following our customers in Silicon Valley as they expand their operations around the, the uh, United States. Ah, okay. So you mentioned foreign trade zones. You have um, a, a number of them set up. Can you, right. I'm not sure everybody knows what a foreign trade zone is or how useful it can be, especially in light of um, companies bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. and, you know, why that's important. Can you describe that a little bit for us? Sure. The foreign trade zones are really an important part of, of commerce and international marketplace. Um, we're fortunate here in the Bay Area. We're uh, supported very strongly by the city of San Jose, who is our sponsor in the Ford Trade Zone program. Um, and then we're also 
governed by the um, the ports of Oakland and San Francisco, as well as Customs and Border Security. So it's a re- relatively lengthy process, but it's not too difficult to get through once you pass all your security requirements. The importance of a foreign trade zone, it allows customers to do several things. They can delay the payment of duties if that's important to them. It also allows them to do a what they call a statement entry, which allows people to group all of their custom clearances and provide a weekly or monthly statement, depending on the volume, rather than clear each shipment individually. It keeps the customer's product outside of U.S. commerce, which is important if you're doing a lot of import-export work. And it's particularly um, important for manufacturers. So we operate several foreign trade zones uh, on behalf of our customers under their foreign trade zone um, uh, designation. And then we also have an RK general purpose foreign trade zone that's open to any customer that wants to use it. So in the, in the manufacturing sectors, companies like Tesla, Bloom Energy, LAM Research, Moxian all have their own foreign trade zones and they designate part of our warehouses as part of that foreign trade zone. So all of the, the paperwork around those trade zones um, are coordinated by RK through our systems with our customers. And then for our, our general purpose uh, foreign trade zone, any customer can bring products into that. And then we handle the paperwork directly with customs and border security. So the advantages are, are many. Um, and it really is important for customers that do a lot of import-export duty. Yeah, so um, as as you may recall, I'm also a licensed customs broker. So I've worked right. around foreign trade zones for a lot of clients over time. And I think the most famous one, well, I didn't work on this one, but the most famous one was back in the 1960s, which was uh, Volkswagen. And right. they were bringing in uh, parts for Volkswagen cars, the Beatles, um, that were uh, broken down and stacked and very densely uh, packed into containers into a foreign trade zone in uh, Philadelphia. And then they um, uh, assembled the, the VW bugs in uh, um, in Philadelphia and then imported them there once they were fully assembled. And it did a couple of things. So first of all, as you can imagine, packing uh, parts densely into a container is way more economic than just trying to ship fully made cars. And then also, um, instead of bringing in parts, which were uh, had a high tariff rate duty, um, bringing in automotive, fully assembled automobiles was a much lower tariff rate. so it addressed a lot of different issues in a lot of different ways. So that, that was a real famous one. Yeah. When, uh, when I was in college also, when I was a senior at Arizona State, I did a, a um, special project um, on uh, foreign trade zones. And one of the things that we did was a liquor warehouse. Right. So liquor is often brought into the United States in bulk in big tanks. And then it's actually bottled within the foreign trade zone. So it's kept in tanks until uh, it's needed for importation. Uh, and then at that point is when the tax is paid on it. So, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting operation, too. Big big warehouses like that in Las Vegas, um, right. where they uh, store liquor for the holiday seasons and right. uh, big events and so forth, and then bring it in as it's, as it's needed for those events. So pretty interesting. I know in um, in the Bay Area, 
Um, you, you mentioned Tesla, but and Lam Research. I know Lam Research uh, has a manufacturing site. Right. Uh, so they bring in lots of parts and then bring them into the manufacturing shop floor when they're needed. And if they're not going to be sold in the U.S., they're going to be re-exported. Then they have the benefit of never having imported those right. parts per se if they keep them within the foreign trade zone. Right. The other thing's happening right now is um, lithium-ion batteries have a quite a high tariff rate. And they're using a lot of products. We look, think of them in electric vehicles, but they're using all sorts of electronics. And we're doing a lot of work where we're actually installing the batteries and the finished goods here. And then they import those out of the FDZ into the U.S. commerce as a finished good. So the, so the tariff is much less on that finished good. So we put batteries into electric skateboards, electric bikes, um, not just the, the EVs. And they're also using a lot of, of, uh, lithium ion batteries for battery storage, uh, for these big, power generation companies that store store uh, electricity using lithium ion batteries. So that's the, the one of the real upcoming reasons for a foreign trade zone is the high tariffs on batteries. Yeah. Well, there are all kinds of reasons too. I know GoPro uses right. the foreign trade zone also for they bring in um they bring in the casings for the mm-hmm. the actual camera and then the lenses separately and uh assemble them and bring them in as a fully assembled camera. When they were bringing them in as separate parts, they were paying a very high duty rate on those parts. So they they uh, were saving a lot of money doing it that way too. So really interesting. And it saves them a lot of paperwork because each one of those shipments had to, would have to be cleared individually, whereas they wait and clear the finalized shipment uh, when they bring the product into to commercial use in the U.S. It's a single entry, which is much easier to do. So that right. makes a lot of sense too. Right, right, right. Really, really an important thought. So that's that's one aspect of third party logistics. Right. I'm sure there are others where you're you're um, helping companies that decide to outsource their inventory or their order fulfillment. Right. That's very difficult right now. Um, A lot of companies struggled through COVID, which was a very difficult time for all of us. And they were looking for really quick, short term solutions. because there was so much product backed up in the supply chain that wasn't needed or was back ordered. And so there was a really a lot of disruption. Now, now the opposite's happening and that we're kind of normalizing supply chains now and people are getting back to their regular course of business. And there's a lot of still dysfunction in the supply chain. They're working their way through. People have product that were products that were ordered during the COVID uh, pandemic that are no longer viable. They, the, those orders were canceled. They couldn't sell that merchandise. And so uh, they're trying to figure out how to dispose of that. There's a lot of things like PP, uh, uh, PPE that was in the supply chain. So people have a large inventory of, of masks and gowns and things that are not in demand anymore that they're trying to figure out where to store. And there's a lot of different products that were disrupted during that COVID that are now normalizing. Um, that's also had an impact on, on rates. So rates were quite high during COVID because there's a lot of, of uh, dysfunction. So people charged a very high rate for warehousing as also for transportation. So truckers were busy and warehousing were, was busy. Right now, the economy's slowed and there's an uh, abundance of truck drivers that are scrambling to, to <coughs> take a, a lot fewer loads. And warehousing capacity was running at the high 90s, almost 100% in several markets that now there's almost a glut of warehousing space available. So in the last 12 to 14 months, the 
the whole economy has changed. And so it's changing how we do business and how we attract new business. Wow, that's the first time I've heard that there were more truck drivers and there are uh, loads. That's, there are in several markets, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's surprising because there's a general shortage of truck drivers across the nation. First, right. you know, in these in these kind of um, areas like Silicon Valley, the economics are often upside down. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a different kind of economy, electronics economy. Well, that's really interesting. So you have local trucks and uh, regional trucks, but then also you do brokerage services, right? Brokerage for long haul, yeah. We, do, we don't have the capacity to to, to uh, get around trips for most of our business. If we do, we'll run some of our own trucks, but most of it's a, it's a one-way traffic, and we, we tend to broker that out. But we have our own local fleet that runs uh, around Northern California and some short hauls throughout California and Nevada. Um, we also work with a dedicated a uh, trucking company that provides us trucks uh, and drivers on a lease basis, either on a short-term or long-term lease. So they're not all of our own drivers. And then we do have a group, group of local owner-operators that run for us as well. Wow, sounds like full service for a company. That's, <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah, very, very good. So what kind of systems do you use? Do you have um, warehouse systems or TMSs or what are you using? Right. We, we have a full package. It's called CargoWise. And it does not only does our, our warehouse management system and our transportation management system, it also does all of our invoicing. It has a brokerage package and also a financial package. So our whole company runs on primarily on a com, uh, and on cargo wise. And then we use a, um, an e-commerce platform called Deposco, which our, our e-commerce customers use because it's much more easy to interface Deposco with their individual systems than it is to do it with our with our legacy system, which has would need a lot more custom software to interface effectively. So that's order fulfillment. Is that used in your warehouses then to track orders, or is I wonder, you know, is it the manufacturer that is using systems, and then you're operating those systems, or are they your systems that the the uh, manufacturer is taking advantage of? We do both. Um, most of our larger customers, we're operating on their SAP or on their Oracle systems. Uh, it's because the cost of software interface on a large global enterprise system like that is almost prohibitive. And it's easier for uh, a large customer dealing with several 3PLs on a worldwide basis to have it all on their system. It makes a lot more sense from their perspective. It gives them real-time visibility. They can see the transactions as they happen in their system. And they have that worldwide visibility on one system, uh, which makes more sense. So we're very familiar with you know, NetSuite, SAP, Oracle, all the major software platforms. But then for our smaller customers that, that just need a more of a warehousing package, an order fulfillment package, we have our two systems that manage our own warehouses effectively there. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I, I, I can't tell you how important I think that is to to have the capability to run multiple systems and to cater to whatever system your customer is running. Um, that's incredibly important. And I think one of those sort of forgotten areas when when um, when supply chain people are thinking about outsourcing, the importance of the ability to run those systems is just critical. I mean, right. if, you don't, if you can't keep your inventory straight or or monitor what's happening with order fulfillment or that sort of thing you're in you're in deep doo-doo right right it's really really important really yeah. important. that's great to know absolutely we have our own um it's not in-house but we have our own system that tracks our uh 
shipments on our own trucks so we can tell where they are real time. Uh, it's all uh, cellular based so we can track our trucks. We can tell what, which shipments are on one, which truck so we can provide our customers real time pickup and delivery information and where that, that shipment is within our system. Then on our broader brokerage system, we have to rely on our, our brokerage providers to interface with our TMS to give us relatively real, real time information on long haul trucking. But that tends to be less problematic for our customers that are operating in the Bay, Bay Area where we're, we're supporting warehouse manufacturing operations where there's a lot of uh, hot shipments and real time right. supply of a manufacturing line that they need to know exactly where those shipments are and when they're arriving and with the with the yeah, complications of Bay Area traffic, you know, you, it's yeah. important they know where that that shipment is. Yeah, if you think about it over over the whole supply chain, if you right. don't know where those parts are, or right. you know where that um, piece of equipment is, or where that order is, or what you you know can throw off the whole supply chain. It's just it's so data has become so important. I know long, long ago when I started in this business, we did everything on, on uh, index cards and you right. know, we kept track of the inventory that way. Um, in today's environment, there's no way you could do it. There's no way you could do it without systems. I mean, you have to know that so that um, you can plan your supply chains and make sure there is no work stoppage or breakdowns along the way. So important. Right. right. What are some of your challenges then um, in the current environment? I know um, you said you have truck drivers, which uh, which surprises me, but that's great that you have drivers available. What other kind of challenges challenges do you have here in the Bay Area in particular? Well, in the Bay Area, it's really labor. Warehouse labor is, is tough to find. Um, the problem with we're in Fremont, if you know the Bay Area, uh, most of our uh, employees now are moving further and further inland where the housing costs are cheaper. So they have longer and longer commutes. And so the cost of labor is uh, difficult. The challenges of living an hour, an hour and 20 minutes away from work uh, is difficult for our employees. Uh, the challenges of, of traffic um, and managing your workforce around the, those problems are also an issue in California. So we've shifted our hours to start earlier in the morning and, and get off in mid-afternoon so people have the opportunities to get ahead of the traffic and, and not be, be spending two or three hours of their day in the car. That helps a lot. And then uh, extending our, our second shifts from two to 10 at night where the traffic again is, is probably more um, easy, much easier for our employees to commute. That makes a difference. Yeah, you, a lot of people don't know this, but in Silicon Valley, most companies provide buses for their employees to commute long, long distances. So the big manufacturers, Google, for example, um, certainly Lamb Research, uh, you know, a lot of the Apple, a lot of the big companies um, have buses and they pick up their employees around the Bay Area and drive them to um, to work, essentially, right. which is great. I've, I've as a consultant, I've had an opportunity to ride some of those buses right. and you get on the bus and you've got Wi-Fi and you can actually start work while you're commuting, which is, you know, really handy. And you don't have to worry about driving anywhere. You know, you let the bus driver worry about that. It's nice. If you're a big company, you can afford it for people like us where that's part of the people we compete against. Yeah. And then we're getting, we're getting pressure in California from the, from the lower end of the spectrum as well. McDonald's workers in California now are making $18 an hour starting wage. So that puts pressure on the on the lower end of the pay scale as well. 
So um, wages are up, which is good. Um, and but we're passing that on to our customers, and we we uh, are really not cost competitive with the rest of the nation um, in California. But locally, I think we provide a, yeah. a great service at a great price. But it, it's, it's difficult. It's really surprising that um, you know with the how, how expensive it is to manufacture here, as yeah. well as the regulations and the labor rates and all of that, and yet California has more manufacturers than any other state in the union. So how how that happens, I don't know, but apparently it's an attractive area, even though the costs are like so expensive and the difficulty in operating businesses is hard here, very hard. There's a lot of entrepreneurs though, and there's a lot of startups. And we like doing business with startups. I know it's sometimes that's difficult because they don't all succeed and that gets to be problematic, but others grow into be major worldwide companies too. So when they're starting out in those incubator stages, a company like RK can be very helpful because we can do the FTZs. We have a lot of, of technology that can help them uh, grow into the marketplace via e-commerce, or we can help them set up their supply chains, which is providing the customers with the suppliers is not, it's not the problem. It's linking the suppliers and the customers in an efficient supply chain. We can help them design what, what their needs are going to be, not only you know, during the startup phase and the incubator stage where they grow into a larger enterprise and they start manufacturing. That's one thing we specialize. We've been very successful at it with a lot of customers. And that's yeah, good. and that's really an important aspect of your business also is helping right. customers solve the problem by right. engineering a process or, or some kind of solution um, that right. they hadn't thought of or that works for them specifically. That's, that's really right. great. Yeah, very difficult. Uh, I, I know that you're working with companies that are taking advantage of the three big uh, funding uh, acts right. that have been passed in the last two years. So there's the um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which has most of the green energy funding in it, right. the Chip and Chips and Science Act, which is for semiconductors, and you, I know you do work in that sector, and also the Infrastructure Act. Can you talk a little bit about what you know, that connection between those companies that are getting funds from the U.S. government and how that uh, translates into third-party logistics? Sure. Right now, the CHIPS Act has actually been rather disruptive for us, um, and here's why. A lot of these companies are getting funds to reshore to the U.S., and because of that, they're the, the LAM researches and the KLA-10 cores and applied materials are not getting tool orders for their traditional manufacturing sites in China. And so the money's being reinvested into the U.S. market, like TSMC down in Phoenix, for instance. But those are long-term projects. There are a lot of money. There's a lot of investment, but you have to buy the land, get the permits, build the fab. And most of these CHIPS Act investments now are on, infra on the buildings and the infrastructure, and they haven't started the lines yet. So uh, because of that, as you know, the, the Silicon Valley tool manufacturers are, are slow right now. And um, once the reshoring starts to kick in in a big way and they start ordering the machine tools to fit up those uh, big fabs, then our business will take off again pretty dramatically. But we're kind of in a lull right now, uh, kind of in anticipation of the of the next phase of the CHIPS Act implementation process. Yeah, I, I've heard from a number of clients that are, are interested in getting funding from any one of the three acts. And the funds, while they're out there, right. they're not they're not made available yet. And there's, right. there's a long process to get that money 
And so they're kind of stuck waiting, sort of tapping their foot, you know, waiting for it to happen. Right. And that's been the difficult part right now is getting that funding. I know TSMC is in a big example. They've, they've kind of delayed some of their construction waiting for funding. And so that's going to put a longer tail on this before we really start to be able to take advantage of it from a 3PL standpoint on that particular um, uh, act. Yeah, um, but it's good to know that it's coming. I mean, it's, it's not coming. like that money's going to go away. It's there. Right. It's funded. It's um, going to be made available. It's my understanding it's made available through this, each state government that will then in turn award the money to projects in, within their own state. Right. But, you know, as with everything in government, it moves slow. <laughs> it's it really, does. It's very, you know, it'll be a while before we see the benefits. So, Yeah. It's a kind of a wait and see game. Correct. Yeah. So, well, Rock, it's been wonderful talking to you. I, I really appreciate that you've taken the time out of you. I know you have a really busy schedule no uh, to talk with us today and to, to tell us all about RK Logistics and the, the great kind of services that you have available. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's the website for RK Logistics? It's rklogisticsgroup.com. Okay, great. Terrific. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You, and have a great day. Thank you.